Turn to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. I saw Andy Hahn looking up this way over top of his glasses because he recognizes the picture. Right, Andy? Yeah, that's your old Peter's shelter. no longer there. Oh, no. Okay, well, it's, it's actually Peter's Mountain. Oh, did you say Peter's Mountain? Oh, oh, got news, okay? The shelter is not there anymore. It's in the museum. I didn't know that. Okay. You blew my sermon, Mandy. Okay, yeah. We'll get to that in a moment. We're talking about a shelter, a means of protection, a place you can be concealed, a place you can hide, and one that you can depend on. I don't know if you saw this week. I believe it was Tuesday. Sorry, didn't turn this on. Well, my daughter was right. I remembered to dismiss kindergarten. I can't even turn the microphone on. Okay. I believe it was Tuesday, getting ready for work, and I heard, this is way too loud now, uh, heard a news clip come on. They said that there was a burglar. I don't know what he had robbed, but trying to evade the police, he decided to seek shelter in a dumpster behind Walmart. Unfortunately for the man, he was not told that Tuesday is trash day. Next thing we know about this man is he is in a compactor truck being compacted. He got his cell phone out and called 911. They actually had the transcript of 911. He said, help, get me out of here. I'm being crushed. They actually got the police there, and they did get him out in pretty bad shape. He sought shelter, but he didn't seek shelter in the right place. All shelters are not equal. All places of protection are not equal. Some of them land up giving us eternal shelter, eternal protection, and others we land up in the compactor. That will set the stage for what Psalm 91 is talking about. Because the psalmist wants to make clear to us that this is not about rescue. God is able to rescue, and we'll see that word in here. But that's not the primary this morning. The primary point this morning is there is a place when we, where we can make a choice to go to that place, to be in the place of shelter, a place where we can be protected from the horrible things of this life. Some of those things are personal, family, some are work-related. Some are just because of the world system itself. Some are because of persecution and all kinds of other dangers. It doesn't matter where it comes from. We all need a place of shelter, a place where we can be protected. Many of the world, including Christians, choose places that are inferior shelters. A place where... You don't land up in a place of protection. In fact, is you land up in the compactor. But God himself is the one who is our shelter. Some of you remember 
because you're a little bit older, and some of you young people have no clues to what this is talking about. But if you read a little history, there was a time during the Cold War where we were encouraged as a nation to build bomb shelters. Uh, this is Life magazine from way back in there, and they show a mock-up of a possible mass shelter where hundreds or thousands of people <clears throat> could go in case we got bombed by the Russians, the Soviet Union. But a lot of people were given handouts, and the government gave uh, programs and, and instructions how to build a bomb shelter in your backyard so that if a bomb went off, you could be protected and you would stock it, and there were lists of things you were to keep and all those kinds of things. But the one that got my attention as I was researching is this. They want us to live like bums. Bums live in culverts. Well, there were actually companies that made bomb shelters made out of corrugated pipe for bomb shelters. So you'd dig a, dig a big ditch in your backyard, bury this thing, and put all your stuff in there, and hopefully if a bomb went off, you could duck down in there for a few days and avoid getting killed. I'm not sure that anybody wanted to live in a bomb shelter, and I'm glad that we never had to use that shelter. I'm glad none of us had to. Remember the Remember the fire, the, not the fire drills, the drills you would have to go through, duck under the desks and all that kind of stuff? Well, praise the Lord, we never had to do that. But those would have been temporary shelters, and I have to tell you that if a bomb went off like I think a bomb would go off, I'm not sure these bomb shelters are going under your desk was going to help you. The, today, we're going to look at something completely different. We're looking at God himself as the shelter. We're in Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Did you notice the redundance there of the words that have to do with trust and shelter and a place of hiding, a place of security, a place of protection? But there's also something you may not have caught. There are four times that God is mentioned. And he is not mentioned the same each time. Each one of them is a different name for Jehovah God, the God of the Bible. Notice it says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. The one who possesses heaven and earth. The ruler, the master of all the whole universe. And heaven above that. He is the one that is our shelter. Anyone less than that who is controlling the shelter and making the shelter, it's going to be an inferior shelter. Only the God who is the possessor of heaven and earth, the most high God, will be able to ultimately protect us. But it goes on to say, <clears throat> will abide in the shadow of the Almighty, the all-sufficient one. That's what Almighty means. All-sufficient. He's the one that can provide everything. But it says the shadow of the Almighty. You go, a shadow is not a protection. Tell me about that on a 95-degree day when the humidity is up. How about that oak tree? I'll tell you what. It could be the difference between heat stroke and living. Because it is indeed protection. See, in the shadow of something, the real thing is there. You don't get a shadow of an oak tree without an oak tree. We can live in the shadow of the one who's all-sufficient, can meet all of our needs. That's a real shelter, a real place of protection. 
But then it goes on to say, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress. The self-existing one. That's the Lord. The one that does not have a beginning. He's the self-existing one. He relies on no one, needs no one. In fact, as he is the first cause of everything besides himself. Because he always did exist. We can take refuge in him. There's nothing he doesn't know from the past and there's nothing he doesn't know about the future. See, he is the shelter. He's the one I can take refuge in. But it goes on and says one more thing. It says, and my fortress. A fortress is not simply a place of protection. A fortress is much more than that. Because it's a place that not only protects us, but it's super protection. It has thick walls. It has whatever it takes to protect us from the danger that comes against us. And so we can uh, have that fortress. It's an inaccessible place. Because that's what a fortress is. It keeps the armies from coming in. It keeps the bombs from coming in. It keeps the bullets from coming in. It keeps the danger from coming in. That's what a fortress does. But it doesn't end there because there's one more. It says, my God in whom I trust. The word God here is Elohim. As in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It means the strong and faithful one. Not only strong, but strong and staying strong. I don't want to protect. I mean, I don't want to seek protection in a shelter that's temporary. I don't want to seek protection in a dumpster. Okay? Because I know where dumpsters go. Somebody asked me after service, what would have happened if he wouldn't have had a cell phone? I don't know. I guess if he could have crawled out of a landfill someplace, maybe he would have survived. I don't know. But they said he was in really bad shape. So maybe he would have been buried in the landfill. I don't know. All I know is all the protections, all the shelters of this world leave you wanting. There are people that believe they can find shelter and protection in some other person. By the way, I'm your pastor. I hope you can trust me, and I hope I would protect you at all costs. But I'll tell you what, if you're depending on me, you've got a dumpster. If you're depending on your job or your money, you've got a dumpster. If you're protecting on, depending on your family and you believe they're the ultimate in protection and shelter, which you should be, by the way, but if you're, that's your final protection, you're in trouble. If you're protect, looking at your status and your abilities and whatever, you're in trouble. Because none of those protections even come close to the shelter that God provides for us. Now, I told you about this uh, little shelter. This is up on the top of Peter's Mountain. When you go uh, toward Halifax and you go up Route 225 and you get to the very top, if you go east about two miles, two and a half miles, you will get to where this used to be. It was about long. I've, we have, my kids and I and a number of the rest of you from the congregation have been there because you were with us and I know you went up there yourselves. But uh, I've never slept in there. I wasn't about to. I was warned before I ever went there it's full of rodents because people let food there and all that kind of stuff. So we never used it. But a guy my size, you can get about three of us in there. And if it's raining, you're getting wet. If it's snowing, you're getting wet. I mean, that's just the way it is. If it's cold, you're going to be cold because that's all it is. It's a bunch of logs with a piece of rubber roofing thrown over top of it. 
That's all it was until they built the new Peter's Mountain. Now, this is the Taj Mahal. Let me tell you, that's the back view of it. Like much, and that's the front. We used to cook right down here, and we'd use that as a table there. But inside, it's like, man, it's like downtown. It's got a ladder, it's got a loft, it's got picnic tables. In fact, it is one night we it was really, really windy. We took a tarp and put over the open side of it, and it really wasn't too bad. It was a whole lot better than the old one. If I have a choice, I'm taking the new one. After this morning, I'm giving you a choice because you may be here and you've been looking for protection and shelter in all the wrong places. In this case, I propose to you there's a place you can go. It is God himself. He is faithful. He is strong. He is all-sufficient. He owns heaven and earth and controls it. And he doesn't need you. He's self-existent. He had no beginning. And he knows the end. That's the only place we can go. There is no other place. We'll get to the next point here in a second. And these pictures, unfortunately, didn't come out as good as I was hoping. On the computer, they look good. But you'll notice that's a mother hen there. And there's some chicks. If you can't see them, they're there. In a time of danger, that mother chicken, a hen, is not going to run from you. They will stop put their wings out, and the chicks will go running in. It is one of the cool, if you've never seen it, it's one of the coolest things to see. And all of a sudden, you see these chicks all over, and they're gone, and they're underneath. Now, the next one is almost worse yet, but right down here, and I, I, I apologize for this, that is the head of a chick sticking out. I've got to tell you, that if, if there's, I wish it was so much brighter. Look at it on the computer, it's really neat. But head of a chicken poking out, little chick poking out. That's what God wants for us. That chicken will give its life for those chicks, and it will. Not the only bird that will do that. It's just the only one I know about, and it was easy to find a picture. God is the one that wants the best for our lives because not only is he above and beyond all that and providing the protection and security and all those things, but he's also the one that gives us safety. If you would follow with me in verse 3 and continuing. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, his wings. And under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. God provides for our safety. I told you this is more about protection than it is rescue. It is better never to get in the trap. He will, as it says in verse 3, he will deliver you from the snare. doesn't mean he's going to go in the snare and take you out. By the way, he can do that. In the New Testament, it says that Satan is one who puts snares for us. But once you've been caught in the snare, there's damage done. Because you've, you've gotten caught, your leg is squished, or, you know, it, there's, there's, there's collateral damage here, folks. But he is the one, and I know this as we continue on, he is the one that wants to keep us from ever doing the foolish thing, ever putting us in the place where he needs to rescue us. Faith was never meant to make up for foolishness. If you're living by faith, you're going to make choices to stay out of trouble. 
But you can't avoid all trouble. You can't avoid all danger. All those horrible things that come against us. You can't avoid them all. You thought you married somebody you could trust and you found out you couldn't. You got a job that you thought had security and it didn't. You moved in a neighborhood where you thought there was no crime and it was. I mean, you name it. I don't care where you go. You thought when you came to Garden Chapel, you came to a perfect church. Forget it. They have me for a pastor. They got Dave Lamb down there laughing at me too. So we're really in trouble. So anyway, the point is, you're looking for safety. It's only from one source. He is the one that saves us from the snare. He is the one that can give us the wisdom to stay out of there. In fact, as he says, his faithfulness is a shield. In the Bible, there are two kinds of shields. You know a lot about one of them, even though you may not recognize it at the moment. The first shield, and this is not the one we're talking about, was a small round shield. It was great if somebody was coming after you with a sword or a spear, uh, you could put it on your arm and you could move it around and stop that sword, stop that spear, stop an arrow, whatever it happened to be, a club. It didn't matter. It was a wooden frame and it had a wicker or a leather covering and it would absorb the shock and the shock would go into that instead of into your body. Great thing to have, nothing wrong with a small shield. But the shield that we're talking about here is a large shield. It's a big one. It's a big enough that if you crouch down a little bit, it will cover your whole body. In fact, sometimes it was so big, it took a single extra person just to carry the shield. You know about this from the battle between David and Goliath. Remember, it wasn't one against one with David and Goliath. Big old Goliath and little, littler David. Okay, David was a man at that time, in just case you got your Sunday school stories wrong, but Goliath was huge. The shield that he used had to be carried by another person in front of him. Now, here's the problem when you're a Goliath. Your head sticks out above the shield, and David got him there, right in the head with a stone. But that's how big the shield was. If you've ever seen uh, pictures of Romans where they had shields big enough they could almost make a wall, well, they, not almost, they would make a wall out of them. That's the shield we're talking about here. You see, he is the shield. His faithfulness is a shield. A shield doesn't help you after you got stabbed. It helps you from getting stabbed. It doesn't help you after you gotten hit. It keeps you from getting hit. And how do I know that it should go this way? And it says, and a bulwark. A bulwark is something much like a fortress that is built solidly around the person to protect them from all sides. Keeping the enemy out, keeping the arrows, the bullets, the whatever out, the danger, the hardship, keeping it out. That's what he does. He, we can be safe in the middle of the circumstances. As we go through here, I want you to keep something in mind. In Christianity today, there is a line of thinking that says, if you're right with God, and you pray right, and you think right, that there is no danger. This psalm, and none of the rest of the Bible that I know of, will ever teach you that. What it does teach you is there is real danger. And in the midst of the real danger, you can still be secure. You can still be safe. Because you don't need a bulwark. You don't need a huge shield. You don't need a place of protection if there's no enemy. 
If there's no disaster, if there's no hard times, if there's no bad relationships and somebody's coming after you, it doesn't matter. Those happen. They will happen. There's no way to get around that. When you're in heaven, fine. That's over. That's a different story, though. But here and now, there is danger. And in the midst of the danger, He is our shelter. He is the one that protects us from all those dangers around us. Look at verses 5 and following. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day. Now notice the night and day thing here. And then verse 6. Of the pestilence that stalks in darkness and of the destruction that lays waste at noon. Night and day. 24 hours a day is his protection, his safety. Did you ever notice... I hope you've never noticed this, but I think you all are pretty familiar with what I'm going to say next. Something happened yesterday during the day. Now it's nighttime. For some reason, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and you're awake. It's not a broken record. It's like a record where the needle just keeps going down and down and down, and by the time 2.30 gets around... That problem is so overwhelming, you don't even know. Now you can't go to sleep because it went from a real problem, and it was a real problem, to now it's unsolvable. It's overwhelming. That's the terror by night. I don't think it's some external thing, but that's a terror that's in our brain. In the light of day, it'll look different, but it's still real. It's still a real problem, a real destruction kind of thing that's coming our direction. He says... You don't need to be afraid. Notice he doesn't say it's gone. He said you don't need to be afraid. Big difference between the two of them. Night and day. Nightmares are the reality of daylight. Noontime. It's there, but I don't have to be ashamed, afraid. And then he look what it says in verses 7 and following. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Hold it a second. This is one guy talking. I don't see any armies any place else here. But it says a thousand at your side, 10,000 at your right hand. Middle of the night. It was one person against you. One person said a nasty thing to you at work today. And the neighbor yelled at you for making noise or letting your dog run or I don't care what it is. Or the policeman gave you a ticket or, you know, something broke at your car and your spouse blamed you. That never happened in this congregation, of course. But uh, you know what? And, And you just let it go and let it go and let it go. It seems like, well, that's one thing. And then at nighttime, it's like, you know, and it seems so overwhelming. Isn't that how problems go? At nighttime and those downtimes, it just gets worse and worse and worse in our minds. He says it looks overwhelming, but the numbers aren't important. That's not the important because, as somebody said, one with God is a majority. It's true, but remember, it's the second part. With God. On your own, you're in the dumpster. You're going to get compacted because that's your place. I'm going to handle this. You can't. You're not going to handle it on your own. Only with God. And he says, with that view, knowing what's going on, God evens the score. That's what verse 8 says. You'll look with your eyes and you'll see the recompense of the wicked. 
because ultimately they're going to get what they deserve. God is the one that evens the score. He's the one that brings justice. He's the one that's fair. The world is not fair. I spent too much time researching the next subject. And I have to vent. So you're going to get a public service announcement as well as an illustration of the next one. Uh, most of you know my wife and I uh, manage and maintain my father-in-law's apartments. And we also have a couple of our own. I'm the guy that uh, any of you who don't know me, uh, if you say it can't be fixed, I'll prove to you that I can fix it. Okay, that's just the way I'm. I may not be able to do it, but I'll, I'll attempt to and pretty much die trying. I just found out two weeks ago from my brothers-in-laws who did the right thing that I am not allowed to do any major renovations in my apartments anymore because I'm not certified. I'm certifiable, but I'm not certified. Because I don't have a lead certification. Now, ju just in case anybody's in here and thinking I'm poo-hooing the dangers of lead, lead is dangerous, poisonous stuff. And it really is. If babies are breathing uh, dust or smoke or any of those kinds of things from lead, it can cause developmental disorders, uh, all kinds of them, stunted growth, uh, disabilities, uh, hearing loss, and some of them are irreversible. It's, it's bad stuff. Don't take me wrong here. I'm just venting. Talk to my wife if you don't believe this, but I felt like somebody kicked me in the gut about two or three times after I found this out. I'm like, you mean I'm not allowed to work on my own apartments, which is exactly what the law says. There's no way to get around it. I looked at every word I could find, and you can't get around it. I can come and do your house, by the way, if I don't charge you. <laughs> but as a, la a landlord, I cannot fix my own apartments. I can't fix my father-in-law's apartments if it's major stuff. I just can't do it because I'm not certified. I can get sued, not sued, fined is the right word. I get fined big time for that. Well, then I'm looking it up, and I found out that we're in violation, and your landlord's probably in violation also, or if you're a landlord, you're probably in violation too. Since 1996, there's a lead disclosure law. Probably most people don't even know about it. But it's really on the books. Nobody's enforced it. But literally, if we're renting to someone, we have to give them a disclosure statement that says uh, there are possible uh, lead, uh, if, if, the, if it was before 1978, by the way. After that, it's different. But uh, a disclosure act that you don't know about lead, but there might be lead there. And if there are any reports or tests taken, you've got to give the reports and tests. You've got to do all of this, and you've got to give them a pamphlet and a whole bunch of other stuff. I never even knew about it. But it's the law. Is it a good law? Well, lead's dangerous stuff. So, yeah, it's a safety issue. And it is. It absolutely is. Do I like what I'm hearing? No. Think about this. Somebody said Rome probably fell. And I don't believe this, by the way. Rome fell because they were all lead poisoned. Rome had 60 miles of lead pipe bringing the water into Rome. And then from that 60 miles, there were lead pipes going to every rich person's house and every public fountain and every public bath. They were all through lead pipes. Today, that would be absolutely outlawed. But, indeed, they probably did get some lead poison from that. In fact, there's a person who worked with lead in Rome was called a plumbum, which comes out plumber in the end when it gets to English. 
And so there were large amounts. The fact is they smelted the lead, and today, 2,000 years later, they still in glaciers in Greenland can find the residue lead from the smoke from Rome. I don't know how they figure these things out, but that's what they tell me. And so we have lived in a time when back in the early 1900s, they discovered that tetraethyl lead made gasoline work much better. And so they put lead in gasoline. 1980, the EPA said, take it all out. It was the biggest polluter of lead in the whole country. And so they took it totally out. And just in case you want to know, disclosure here, if you come to a tractor pull, my tractors burn leaded gas. So just let you know. But you can't put it in your car. It'll ruin your car. It still works good but they took it out because too much of it causes problems. In 1978, the EPA, with a whole bunch of others, said, you know what, lead paint has been in every house built before here. And that is true. It's absolutely true, if, especially around the windows and the windowsills and, and all those things. Remember, we're talking about safety. Now, if somebody would have thought about this ahead of time, there wouldn't have been lead in to start with. But they didn't. God, uh, the, the, here, you have to understand, this is not just a vent on my part in public service, but you have to understand there's a point to this. If you know what's good, and you'll see this in the last point big time, if you know what's good and avoid it to start with, you don't have the consequences. Now we have people remodeling houses that are older houses. Got a few of those. And every time you get in there with a sander or a scraper or a heat gun, you're releasing lead dust. It goes in the air, and especially if there are young children there, they breathe it, they eat it, they, you know, all kinds of ways to you know, touch stuff and then put it in their mouth and all that. Uh, they get lead. And if you get too much lead, it can cause a coma, it can cause a whole bunch of things, including death if you get enough of it. And so they're protecting. It's a safety issue. If it was never there to start with, it wouldn't be a problem. But now it is. So the truth of the matter is, I can't change a, put a replacement window in now because I'm going to disturb the lead and it might be a problem. Do I agree that there should be some precautions taken and all those kinds of things? The answer is absolutely yes. We need to be safe. God is the only place of safety. He warns us ahead of time, not let us get into it and then say, oh, by the way, I've got to rescue from this. He delivers us first. We've done lots of things. In fact, I've, I've noted over the years that every time we have a new development, it causes 10 new problems. You know, oh, we got this greatest thing, and then the next thing is, you know, it causes 10 more problems, whether it's gasoline or paint or whatever. And lead in paint makes paint work really good. Lead in gas makes it work really good. But it also causes a lot more problems. God knows those things ahead of time. And when you're with him, you're with him, you avoid going that direction. And so you know what's required of me now? Unless I do it for free, and as a landlord, I can't get out of it because I'm now a, a firm, according to their thing. I have to take a lead certification. It costs about 200 bucks and eight and a half hours of training. And then I've got to spend $300 for a certification, and then I have to buy a four or $500 HEPA vac to be able to actually do it, to be certified. By the way, you cannot even certify something. Uh, you can't even go buy a $10 lead test, which they work, and um, read it unless you're certified. Otherwise, it's a nothing. That's the way the law is written. It's going into effect by the end of this year. 
You know what? I buck <laughs> kick against all of that because it's just like, you mean I'm not allowed to fix my own apartments. That's the truth. I can come fix your house, but I can, I can do my father-in-law's for free. But it would cost me $1,000 till I'm certified, be able to do anything. God helps us avoid that because he shows us ahead of time. He tells us, here's how you live. Here's what you do to stay out of trouble. He's the shelter, not simply the one who rescues. Oh, will he rescue you? The answer is yeah. But you'll get 27, uh, 26 pages from EPA, and then there's another that many pages from HUD, and it goes down the line. You know, pages and pages, where if you just said, don't put it in to start with, it would have been okay. God deals with the first one. He can rescue us from the second one, but he wants us to see the first one. Keeps us safe from the very beginning. Oh, by the way, I didn't, I got carried away and didn't show you my lead stuff, so we'll move on. Last point. We've got four minutes left. God is our salvation. Most times when we look at the word salvation, we think of being saved from sin, born again. Good use of the word, proper use of the word. But it's not all that the word is used for. It also has to do with protection, deliverance from evil, from harm, from those things that would destroy us. It's in all those directions. But God is our salvation is an act of faith. If you would pick up with me on verse 9. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. Notice, it wasn't he got in trouble and then he went looking for a place to hide. He made the Lord his refuge. He made the Lord his dwelling place, his shelter. He went there first, not doing foolish, stupid things first and then go, oh, I'm in trouble. No, he did the right way. He did it the right way. And how do I know I'm right about that? Continue on with me, if you will. Verse 10. No evil will befall you, nor any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you. To guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands. Lest you strike your foot against the stone. Anyone heard those verses before? Yeah. Where did you hear them? In the New Testament, right? Yeah. When Jesus was tempted, the devil quoted them. No, he didn't. He misquoted them. Quoted almost everything. But he left out one phrase. Because what the devil left out, and, and look with me if you will, the, the middle of verse 11, uh, the end of verse 11. To guard you in all your ways. See, when Jesus was tempted, he said, Jesus, go up to the pinnacle of the temple. That's the big wall in Jerusalem. You won't see it today, but uh, it's been filled up a lot. But it was 150 feet in Jesus' day. He said, go up and jump off of that wall and, you know, people will know who you are. He said, no, 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 I'm not tempting God. He, because Satan, Satan said to him, well, you know, you can do this. He'll give his angels charge. You can jump 150 feet and you won't even stumble on a stone. But that was not what the Old Testament said. The Old Testament said to guard you in all your ways. We don't need a God who simply rescues us. And he will do that. I don't care how messed up your life is and how destroyed it is. He'll rescue you. But there's a better way because you have all the, the consequences and the damage that goes with that that doesn't necessarily go away. It's there. 
but He'll guard you in all your ways. He will give you the wisdom, the instruction, whatever you need to not get in those wrong things. He will be your shelter, your protection from the beginning so that He will be your dwelling place. He will be your refuge, not simply because you've already blown it, but because you've gone there first. And Jesus is reacting to him and saying, no, I'm not going to jump. It's not a sideshow. That's my version of it. It's not a sideshow. God gave me the wisdom not to do this. And God wants to do that. That's why the book of Proverbs, uh, people, I'm sorry, let me say something first. People say experience is the best teacher. Experience is a teacher. It's an expensive teacher. The book of Proverbs in particular, the whole Bible, but Proverbs in particular, was written so I don't have to make the mistakes. I don't have to do the foolish, stupid thing and then be rescued. I can make a good decision first. I can make God my refuge, my shelter, my protection without going and doing those other things. Oh, experience as a teacher. Harvard, Princeton, and Yale are much cheaper than experience. Some of you are sitting here and you're paying for things that you did 10, 15, 20, 30, maybe even more years ago, and you're still paying a bill. Health-wise, money-wise, relationship-wise, whatever, you're still paying a bill because you didn't seek refuge at the right place. To guard you in all your ways, to do the right thing the first time so you don't need to be rescued. That's what we're looking at this morning. But that's finished. Verse 13 says, You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Verse 14 goes on to say, Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer. Here's how you do this. How do you make God your refuge, your dwelling place, your protection, your shelter? How do you do that? You love Him. Remember what Jesus said when they asked Him, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord thy God with everything you've got. That's what you do. He says, also you'll call upon Him. And He says, I will answer. And we're going to finish with those answers. Pick it up at verse 15. If you call upon me, I'll answer. I will be with Him. I will be with you in trouble. I will rescue you. I will honor you. With long life, I will satisfy him and let him behold my salvation, my protection, my deliverance. Why? Because I love God. If I love something, I give it priority. I put it first place. I focus on it. So we do in love. It's about the other person. If I love God, my focus is going to be on him. I'm going to put him first, and I'm going to call upon him. I'm going to make it clear that the place I'm looking for is not a dumpster, a temporary protection that I land up in the compactor in bad shape. No, I'm going to call upon the right one. That guy would have been a whole lot better off when the police started looking for him to say, put me in handcuffs. (laughs) At least I'll be in a jail cell and won't get crushed. No, he was looking for protection in the wrong place. He was looking for shelter in the wrong place. Thought he'd get away with it. 
I don't know where it is in you. You may be looking. You think, I can think my way out of this. I can talk my way out. I can work my way out. I can go here. I can do this. I can manipulate this. I can whatever. I don't care what you're trying. It's going to land up in the compactor. It's not going to be the shelter of the Most High. I want to dwell in a shelter where I know I'm safe and secure forever. That's what God wants for you. Don't learn the hard way. Don't go down the wrong way and then figure out later I need rescued. Oh, he'll do that, but you'll have the scars to prove it. But come to him. Let him be your refuge. Do the right thing the first time for the right reason. Love him. Call upon him. Trust him. It's the only way to live. That's, stand together as we close in prayer. Father, we've been